understand the concept of prayer, the purpose of prayer, the power of prayer, that does not necessarily move us to pray. The prayer is a rarity in our activity of every day. It's a reality that robs the church of the blessings of God, that robs our lives of His power. And so as we look back and we'll read a portion again, I want to again challenge you that we can read books upon books on prayer, we can discuss it, we can um, give examples of it, but until we're prepared in our lives to do it, something about it, to actually pray, that all of these are exercise of futility. And so I'm going to preach a futile message. It's futile because it provides information that if it's not used and exercised, means nothing. And this God describes for us in Psalm 50, and I want to begin there today. In Psalm chapter 50, as we read earlier this morning, we have Israel bringing sacrifices before God with some concept that God is like us, that somehow He needs animals to eat and blood to drink. And he says, I'm not dependent upon you, but rather you are dependent upon me. And he says in verse 12 of Psalm 50, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine all its fullness. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And so God is not dependent upon us. He is not languishing for our lack of praying. He is not sitting, waiting for it, and just lonesome for it. Rather, we are the ones languishing for the lack of praying. He says, offer to God, in verse 14, thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. That this is the instruction for God's people, is to call to heaven for the Lord to work in our lives, to then do the part that is required of us, which is to give Him thanksgiving, to pay the vows that we have given or offered to Him, that we call upon Him, and that we glorify Him. In the midst of all that, our praying, He says He will deliver us. But He has a very different statement to the wicked. In verse 16, He contrasts this is, uh, the previous verses were all about to my people Israel. To those who are offering the sacrifices and, and, um, going through those motions at least, um, you need to understand that I'm not dependent upon those sacrifices. I don't need them. You need them. God doesn't need your prayers. You need Him to respond to prayers. But to the wicked, he has something very different to say. In verse 16, it says, What right have you to declare my statutes or to take my covenant into your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? We have talked about the necessity of righteous living to enable prayers to be effectual, to have some power and some strength behind them. 
And here God talks to those who harbor wickedness and unrighteousness in their life and says, you don't have the right to even speak my word back to me. You cannot put my covenant into your mouth. You don't have that privilege because you are harboring sin. And he describes it in this way, you hate instruction and cast my words behind you. And it's that verse I want to focus in on. You see, we can receive instruction about our covenant relation with God and how to use it. We can receive instruction about prayer as one facet of our relationship with God. That prayer is, of course, um, part of what it takes to grow in our, in our walk with God in righteousness and truth. That, and we have the little song, we have the children sing, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And it's fine for us to have that instruction, um, but that instruction often becomes worthless because we are not valuing it. It says, you cast my words behind you. We hear them and cast them off. Well, yes, that's truth and it's from God's Word and I'll acknowledge it intellectually. I will ascribe uh, it as truth, but I don't believe it. You say, Pastor, you say we don't believe in prayer? If you believed in it, you would be doing it. Because the fact is we only do that which we believe in. You believe in the economic system of our culture because you participate in it. You believe that if you um, do X, Y, and Z financially that you're going to get what the world says you're going to get at the end. You're going to get financial independence, although very few people ever experience that. And I would contend that none really do. It's an illusion. But we believe it. And so we're going to participate in it. And we're going to put the investment in where the investment goes. And we're going to uh, you know, go through this activity because we believe in that. We don't believe the truth of prayer. We cast these words behind us. We do not value and the instruction that we have in God's Word to engage in that activity. How do I know that? Pastor, you don't know my prayer life. Yes, we do. It is evident by your priorities. Because corporate prayer is a manifestation of the value placed on private prayer in your life. And our corporate prayer time is weak. Our corporate prayer time is, is like every other, most every other church, I think every other church in America, is our least valued service. Is the most important service, but is the least valued. Why? Because we hate the truth about praying. We cast those words behind us and we ignore them. We, we, we do not give them the honor and the respect and we do not believe in them. And this we come to in our text in Luke today as well where God is going to put His thumb on us and push us down and say, here's what you think about God. Here's what you think, and this is why you don't pray. Because you have a wrong view of God. This is what was wrong with Israel in Psalm 50. They had a wrong concept of God, and the way he says it, it says, the problem is that you thought that I was altogether like you. 
He says in Psalm 50, verse 21, These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. We put God down on our level, and we begin to identify Him like us. And because of our wrong view of who God is, in fact, we make Him worse than us. As we're going to see, we don't pray. We ignore that truth. We don't believe it, really. And so God rebukes us. And so we have several categories of to address this morning. And those categories involve those who have a wrong view of God and do pray, but pray foolishly, selfishly. And Christ talks about this. You ask it for yourselves, and you ask amiss. We pray, but we're, at, we're praying wrong, and God doesn't respond. Then we have those who have no right to be praying because of the wickedness that they are storing in their life. Then we have these that simply don't pray because they don't believe in it. And our churches are filled with them today. If I called for a prayer meeting on a Saturday and sent the word out, I might get a dozen people from all the churches Pastor Reddy will speak at while he's here. I certainly won't get 70 who have to travel by bus and walk and burros and, well, they don't have burros there, they have ox, um, whatever they have, bicycles, two-wheelers. Why? Because we don't believe it. Because we have made God like us, because we have wickedness in our hearts, because we hate the instruction of God's word in this area, and we cast his words about it behind us. Our study for the last two weeks, and again this week, is on our Lord's model prayer. And how easy it is for us to cast these words behind us, to hear them, understand them, but to do nothing about them. And this is what is rebuked in Israel in Psalm 50 uh, regarding their relationship with God is that they didn't value that instruction. You see, once you don't accept it into your belief system sufficiently to do this activity, you are hating it in a biblical way. When we cast it along, we hear it on Sunday morning, we say, well, that's very powerful information. That's exciting. That, that, that really got me thinking. Um, things along that line. But then we go in and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, prayer isn't the focus of our lives. And we come to here on Sunday and likely not have prayed yet until we are led in prayer at the beginning of the service or in Sunday school. Something is wrong. We are hating the instruction that God gives us. We are casting those words aside. And so I want to call you this morning, before we really begin in Luke chapter 11, to examine your heart and your life. I can instruct you every Sunday for the next hundred Sundays, easily, in the area of prayer. But until prayer is being done, it is of no value. 
And so for the third week in a row, we'll study prayer. Not as an intellectual pursuit, not as a theological pursuit, but as a challenge to really believe it. And this Christ does in Luke chapter 11, beginning verse 5. I invite you to turn there. Before we get into our text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, we must come before you with confession this morning. That much like those who were you rebuked in Psalm 50, we pray very little. Because we think that you're like us or worse than us. We do not love your teaching. We don't believe it. We cast your words aside and trust in ourselves and our society and in its mechanisms that we can see and touch and we involve ourselves there. But yet, Lord, you are the owner of all of it as you've declared. And so, Lord, we pray you might forgive us Lord, we know that forgiveness is conditioned not only upon our confession of it, but our repentance of our lack of prayer, which would mandate that prayer become standardized in our lives. You've instructed us to pray without ceasing, and we have failed. And we pray for your forgiveness. And as we study your prayer your instruction on prayer, and the mandate to pray. Lord, we pray not only for information, but for correction. This instruction in righteousness to lay hold of our lives, become a priority. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Having given us what we call the Lord's Prayer, he then shares some illustrations as well as some significant teaching in verses 5 through 13 to take this a step further in our minds. He begins in verse 5 by talking about a little storyline. He says, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And we have Christ introducing this concept, looking at the humanness, the human relationships, and saying, if this is the way it is in the human psyche, and we are in the, in the darkened image of God, then it is certain that we can anticipate a similar or better response by God Himself. So even in the human experience, we will surrender and we will give people what they ask for simply by because we want them to stop asking for it. And, and every husband here knows what I'm talking about. Because you have wives. Right? Every parent here knows what I'm talking about because you have kids. 
And sometimes we capitulate to their request simply because they keep giving it over and over and over again. Fine, fine, go do that. Or we'll capitulate and say, okay, I'll go do that. You keep asking me, and I'll, and we call it nagging, but it's really just requesting over and over and over again. And here this individual comes and has a need, a real need. This person is in his comfort place. He's, he's, he's settled in for the night. He's got his jammies on. And no, these are not my jammies. Um, I know so you give me a hard time. These are my India clothes. And Pastor Rory is very excited to see us in these this morning. Uh, and uh, we're, we're, it's inconvenient. And yet because of your persistence, I'll make sure you get what you need. That's just on a human level. And, and this is where we're getting to, is that Jesus Christ is saying, you know, if, if we expect this and, and we know that this is the, the result of, of human activity, do you think God is better or worse? But the fact is, in our praying, we think He's worse. We think that He doesn't care. We think that He's not uh, touched by our prayers, that He's not moved by them, that, they, that he, is, he is cold to them. Even though we look at this and we say, well, this is how people are. Yes, it is. Is God better or worse? Is God more concerned with your needs or less concerned than your neighbor, your friend, that you go to with this kind of request? Well, the problem is we usually categorize God as lower than this. We find this principle about our praying is that it must be persistent. Not because God is deaf, not because God is uncaring, not because God is uh, shut the door and put everyone to bed and doesn't want to get up and deal with us. Rather, it is an opportunity for us to rehearse our dependence upon Him. For here, this man had no interest in meeting those needs and yet was compelled to meet those needs. God Himself has an interest in meeting those needs of yours, if they are truly needs, and can be compelled to meet those needs. And we must understand that prayers are compelling to God. They are. They matter to Him. They are effectual in His sight when they are presented to Him in the manner that we talked about in our Lord's praying based upon an intimate relationship where we, where we, um, uh, honor Him and, and, and glorify Him, where we are demonstrating our dependence upon Him and submitting our will to Him, that we are, uh, repentant in that relationship and seeking righteousness, when, when we meet the conditions of this active prayer life, our prayers are compelling to God. Do we believe that? I mean, do we really believe that? Well, we're going to look at the distinction in praying here in a little bit. But one of the first principles Christ gives us is... That when we have real needs, that there ought to be a persistence in our praying. And persistence is not a matter of five minutes. I don't know about you, but if something annoys me for five minutes and goes away, I don't call that persistent. Do you? It's not praying. 
persistently. It is this matter of bringing it before the Lord and engaging Him and allowing Him to to have the entirety of your heart and mind and soul in this area. And in the process, something happens to us is that we begin in the persistent asking to evaluate, is this a genuine need? And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Is this something I should be bringing before God? Is this something I really believe that God will uh, care for, that God is is interested in, in having in my life? Um, and there should be a persistence there. And it's impossible, I believe, to annoy God in that area. You know what annoys God? Remember Psalm 50? Praying without righteousness. And not praying at all. It's annoying to God. You think you can just take care of things yourself? Okay, go ahead. I'm convinced that most of the misery that we claim to experience is not because God isn't available, it's because we don't act like He's ever available to engage in our life. And so we find that we come to God and we bring our requests before Him, we bring our praises before Him, we bring our troubles before Him, and His promise has been that I will respond. Will you depend upon Me? What is his reason for delay in responding occasionally? They vary widely. And yet they are purposeful. We move on to verse 9. We have an instruction that we are to keep asking. It will be given to you. Keep seeking, you will find. Keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. And that is the tense of those verbs in that verse. It isn't just that you knock once, ask once, um, seek once, but this is a continuing activity verb, that you are continually doing this, you're going to keep knocking, you're going to keep asking, you're going to keep seeking, that you're going to desire after the work of God as a reality in your life, which means that you're going to spend your time in prayer searching His will out uh, Laying your will before Him. Laying your desires and your needs before Him. And it says, it might be open to you. Is that right? It might be given to you. It might be found. Is that what your Bible says? Aren't you glad? But you don't believe it. You don't believe what it says here. He doesn't say yes, no, or wait. He says, if you meet the qualifications that I just described in this model prayer of an intimate relationship that honors God, that is in reverence of Him, that you are coming to surrendering your will to my will, that you're coming to me with a dependency, that you're coming to me with, with a, a desire for your sins to be cleansed and to walk in righteousness, if you're coming to me in this fashion as portrayed here that you want to give me your past as well as your future, then... Whatever you ask, whatever you seek, whatever you knock, it will be given, it will be found, it will be opened. Before you run out here and pray for to win the lottery, which violates everything we just said in the model prayer, by the way, it's not dependence upon God, not righteousness, get the picture, 
Think carefully over the last two Sundays about the qualifications for this kind of praying. The promise is real. We may not believe it enough to live it, but it is real. The promise is real. The problem is we don't like meeting the conditions of the promise that are demonstrated for us in the model prayer of our Lord here given. This is expanded for us extensively in John, Gospel of John. Jesus goes and gives extensive instruction in this with all these clauses. If you, if you, if you, if you, if you, in John 14, 15, 16, if you, if you, if you, then anything you ask be given to you. Oh, we like the last part, don't we? All right, I can have that new truck I wanted. No, it's not just the last part. It's the the conditional clause is there. If, and we are so focused on the back side of the promise that we forget the front side of the conditional statements and we don't focus on them. If we would focus on the front side, and this is where our job is, is in the front side, the if clause. God will take care of the back side of the, of the promise if we will take care of the front end of it. The front end of is if. And here in our model prayer, we have the if statements wrapped up in this, in, by example here. If we have an intimate relationship, if we have all these things we've been discussing, if they are there, it will be taken care of at the other end. And I challenge you to go through John 14, 15, 16 on your own time. <laughs> if you abide in me, if you bear much fruit, if, if, if. He goes through uh, eight or ten ifs clauses in those two or three chapters. The promises are yours. If we are willing to meet the conditions. So, having met the conditions that are described for us in this model prayer and looking at the persistent activity of engaging in this, making sure persistently that I have an intimate relationship with God, engaging persistently that I am reverencing God in my life, persistent that my will is surrendered to His will, persistent that I am dependent upon Him, persistent that my sins are confessed and repented of, persistent that I am trusting in Him for the future to lead me not into temptation. Then, what you ask for, you will receive. What you seek, you will find. The doors that you want open will be opened. This is the kind of God we serve. He is not up there and, and just meeting out little bits of blessing now and then um, because, you know, he's a Scrooge. No. He desires to meet the needs of his people. And so Christ again goes back into the human world and says, what happens in the human realm? In verse 11, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? I mean, fathers just don't do that. When a father has a child in a, who is hungry and has this need for a basic necessity of food, he says, I'll meet that need and I'll give you what you request. That meets that need. 
But I want to look at the requests, and I want to look at what is not asked for, what's not on the list. He asked for bread, he asked for fish, and he asked for an egg. All very nutritious, wouldn't you say? What didn't the child ask for? Candy, soda, toys. Notice that? Do parents tell their children no? Yes. Why? When do I tell my children no? When they ask for bad things. Things I know aren't good for them. Things that aren't appropriate for them at that time or at that place. And the fault is not me as a parent being stingy. The fault is for the child for asking for a foolish thing. And so here, when we ask for a genuine need that is of value, that is of necessity, that, that, that is going to um, strengthen us spiritually, God is not going to just give you, oh, here's a little portion, hopefully that satisfies you. He's going to overflow that to us. He's going to care for us. He's not going to replace it with something evil. You know, you know, I'm pray, you know Lord, give me green beans, and He gives me peas. Well, I hate peas. He's not going to do that. That's not the kind of person he is. You're going to ask him for a drink of water here, suck on a rock. You know, he's not going to do this. What sort of God is it that you believe you have? Psalm 50 is right. We think he's altogether worse than us, like us or worse, like the evil people. He's not seeking an opportunity to give good gifts to his children. So he says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your child, children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now we're going to get into some intense teaching. Okay? You thought this was about food and clothing, and certainly that's in the Lord's Prayer. We talked about it. It's not so much about that, but about daily dependence, um, we find now that his comparison isn't, you know, if you ask God for bread, he'll give you bread. It's not there. What he says is the good gifts from God are first spiritual. And why aren't we asking for those things first? This is the basic necessity of your life, is Holy Spirit. The fundamental necessity of your life is for the Holy Spirit to have more and more control. Why? Because when he ha- when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, when He has control there, when He has, has expansive ministry, when He has liberty to move and work of His job of illuminating and, and guiding and consoling, when He has the, the, the freedom to move in your life, an amazing thing is going to happen to you. You know what that is? You're going to find your life coming into agreement with the conditions of the promise of answered prayer. You're going to have greater intimacy with God. You're going to have a greater reverence of God. The more Holy Spirit is working in you, not more of Him. He's already there entirely if you're a believer, but... It's about how much is surrendered to us. How much influence does he have there? You can resist him. The Bible says so, right? You're commanded, do not resist the Holy Spirit. Quench not the Holy Spirit. 
but rather we ought to walk in it and surrender. And so the, this, this is our primary request because, Lord, the Holy Spirit is what is needed in my life because I cannot meet these conditions on my own. I can't even do that much on my own. And so I'm going to begin with the very basic, the very foundation of my prayer life, and that is to meet these conditions that you have listed for me in God's Word. And I look at them and I go, Oh, I'm not even close to that. So what is my prayer? Lord, help me. May your Spirit direct in my life that I might meet the conditions so that I can have this wonderful, powerful prayer life. And so we come to Him for a necessity and He gives us this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit to all those who ask Him. And so we surrender our lives more and more and we find that the conditions of this, of this promise, uh, that all of this, these conditions are, are no longer insurmountable. If you're trying to do them yourself, they are. Absolutely insurmountable. But with the Holy Spirit active in your life, they are manageable. If they weren't manageable, God wouldn't put them upon you as a condition. Intimacy, reverence, submission, dependence, repentance are all manageable when we've surrendered ourselves more and more to the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of God we have. He knows our needs better than we know them ourselves. And He is not waiting to laugh a cruel laugh at you and say, you asked for that, I'm going to give you something worse or less than what you need. He is a gracious, merciful God who is slow to anger and abundant in meeting our needs. Oh, that we would look at Him as an abundant God that seeks His abundance in your life. I hear people saying, well, I don't want to pray for that because I know what God... If I pray for patience, God's going to bring trouble in my life. I don't want to pray for that. If I pray for increased faith, that means I'm going to have to have this horrible things happen in my life to, so that I trust God more. Do you see how foolish we are? We don't want to ask for the things that are good for us. We don't want to ask for the things that we know are virtuous because of our fear of what it might take to get us there. Lord, I I want all the goodies, but I don't want my relationship with you tested. I don't want the intimacy tested. I don't want my dependence tested. I don't want my reverence tested. I don't want my repentance tested. I don't want any of it tested. As if somehow we can fool God into thinking that we are what we are not. That we have met the conditions when we haven't. And it's evident. So when our child, when our children come to us with requests that are inappropriate, that are harmful, when my seven-year-old asks me if he can drive the truck, what do I say? Sure, because I'm a good dad, and I'm generous, and I'm giving, and I'm and I, and I just want what's best for you. And if that's what you want to do, is drive my truck, and you're seven years old, go for it. Let's go. You'd say, no, that's an evil father who doesn't care about that child. And you'd be right. 
Is God more or less than that? God is better. He knows perfectly what we need. He has told us what those are in his word. And we refuse to pray in accordance with this book. We pray according to what we think we need. Lord, I I need more money. Why? To buy more stuff. Why? I like stuff. I never met a kid that didn't like ice cream and candy and cake. And it's okay for them to have it now and again, isn't it? In small quantities. Not right before bedtime. (laughs) And we know that. But they can't live on that. And we know that too. Does God know more or less? Who is your God? Do we recognize that most of what we pray for is foolishness because we haven't met the conditions. And so like the evil ones who shouldn't even be putting His covenant in their mouth because they have no grasp of it, they have no qualification to do so, we go to God with this kind of foolishness. He doesn't give us the foolish things we ask for and then we say, oh, He's not a good God. I'm not doing that no more. Praying doesn't work. You haven't asked for a good thing yet. Problem is we don't ask for a bread. We don't ask for fish. We don't ask for an egg. We are asking for the foolish things of this world instead of for the necessities of life. And that first necessity is for the Holy Spirit to have liberty in our life. To fill us. Oh, that this would characterize our praying and genuine, submitted, reverent, intimate, repentant praying is just of that nature. It's coming before God humbly and saying, I don't really know what I need, but I know I need you more. And if I could submerge my will into your will and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, then I am confident that my praying will produce the results that you would have. With talking with pastors and lining up Pastor Reddy's schedule, talking to Pastor Reddy and then to the um, uh, Rex and his wife last night, um, every conversation about missions seems to come back to one thing. Money. I am so tired of it. You know, if we had money, we could do this. If we had money, you can do that. If we had money, we could build this. If we had money, we could have this many. If we had money, we could, we could send out this many missionaries and this many. If we had money, wrong! 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 What's wrong with missions in our, in our, uh, culture today? Isn't a lack of money. It's lack of praying because we have a small God.
And it's not just Americans that are thinking this way. It's Haitians, it's Indians, it's Peruvians. It's, they're all looking at it in there. And it's every mission board that I've ever had any contact with. It's all about, oh, if the funds were there, we would do. There was a day, there really was a day in this country when we went out and did missions without any money. Because we believed that this God was who He says He was, and that if we did His work, He would provide for it along the way, day by day. I didn't have to have a promise of $50,000 a year guaranteed for at least four years before I could head off to the field. Didn't need it. I could do the work because God says, if I go, that He will meet my needs. And maybe health insurance isn't a fundamental need of life. Ooh, boy, did I say that? It's amazing how much more we think we have to have now or you're irresponsibly living. A hundred years ago, there was no such thing called insurance. Think about that. Let that sink in a little bit. There was no such thing for the normal person called insurance in anything. Life, health, well, there weren't very many cars around 100 years ago. (laughs) And now we think, oh, if you don't have these, you're, you're, you're very irresponsibly living. Who says? The world. You know who says that? The people selling you insurance. You see, we've allowed the world to penetrate our thinking much more than we've allowed scriptures to penetrate it. And then we believe the world, but we don't believe this book, and we don't believe what it says, that God will meet our needs. We don't really believe it. We do not believe it. We trust in insurance companies. We trust them. I don't know why. But that's where our trust lies. It's in this world. We trust Social Security. I don't know why. But we don't trust God. You see, we believe that which motivates our activity. And so if we really believed that God could be trusted in this fashion, it would radically change our approach to this life. And prayer would be a radical element of that. Not just, thank you for this food, amen. But it would be inundating our lives. For this is what dependence is all about. And the fact is, is that we have such a low view of who God is. We are convinced that he would let us down. And so we don't even ask. We have a good God who will trouble himself and allow our prayers to compel him to meet our needs. We have a good God who will give you good gifts from above. This is who we have as our God. Do you believe it? That everyone who asks receives and who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened? Do we believe this? Then we would pray. Not just once, not just occasionally, but truly as Scripture 
instructs us, we would pray without ceasing. In Psalm 50, in the midst of it, with this I'll close, God says, I have all the beasts of the field, all the cattle on every hill, they're mine. He doesn't need our praying. We need to pray. He has all the resources. Ours are puny at best. And really aren't ours anyway. Is this your God? Or is he smaller than your employer? Is he smaller than the insurance company? Is your God smaller than your bank account? How you pray reveals how big your God is or how small he is. Meet these conditions. You can't do it by yourself. You need help. God will give you the help. And we have to go back to Solomon. And God says, ask for me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And he says, oh, give me wisdom. And God was thrilled with the request and gave him wisdom plus. Essentially what Christ here is saying when asking for the Holy Spirit's liberty to work in your life is we are asking for that which only the Holy Spirit can give us, which is spiritual wisdom. And if we would ask for that, if we would begin there with the basics, with the necessity of life, we can meet the qualifications. And our prayer lives would be the powerhouses that they should be. Let's pray. Lord God, we do today thank you for your word. Lord, we are unfaithful in it. We are unfaithful in studying it. We are unfaithful in meditating upon it. And Lord, we are certainly not faithful in living it. This we freely confess. And we pray that you might help us to turn from sin, turn from faithlessness to your Son, Jesus Christ, and be dependent upon him in our lives. Lord, we confess before you that we have prayed amiss because we've always prayed for ourselves. And we, we pray that you might continue to direct our lives that we might have wisdom by your Spirit to pray as we ought. might truly seek your kingdom in our life. That our sights might be truly upon your realm and not this world. Lord, we pray that you might help us by your Spirit to radically realign our priorities, to conform to your truth, Christ Jesus' name. Amen.